0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here as always and thank you for joining me this week. It's the week after the Mexican Grand Prix, or the Mexico City Grand Prix I should say, um, and the start of a triple header as we head into the final part of the season. I hope everyone's doing well, um, wherever you are in the world. We here in Melbourne, Australia, have just come out of lockdown, as you might have known I said last time um, when we came to record after the US Grand Prix. Um, yeah, so just adjusting back to back to life as we knew it before um, being shut down for the second or what, sixth time or whatever it was. Anyway, let's, let's get Get away from all that. It's so easy to get caught up in talking about that sort of stuff. But yeah, we're heading into the final races of the season and you know, I said this last time where I was like, you know, normally mid November or end of November you're like, Yep, you know, season's coming to an end and whatnot and you expect it to be done. But we'll be going into mid December, so we still got effectively a month of racing in F1 to go. Not that it's a complaint, you know, it's more racing great, sure, but you know, it's like there's also a hangover to that side as well, you know, for for people, especially within the sport, the um, teams, the crews, all the media people, everyone who travels um, to each race, you know, they must be sick of it by the time we get to the end of the season, but at least it's been a pretty spectacular season that we've had so far. In 2021, Max Verstappen winning his ninth race of the season from third, Checo, home podium for him as well, finishing in third behind Lewis Hamilton, I think the Mexico City Grand Prix was definitely one that, you know, got everyone on their feet, and just the crowds, you know, the crowds this year that we've seen at certain races have just been amazing, and I think having a year you know, like 2020, where we did not see crowds at races, and when we did, it was very, you know, small amounts, having the grandstands full again, you know, and having such a great season, as well, the narrative around the championship battle, and, you know, all the other little battles going on up and down the grid, I think it's just so exciting, and, you know, saying, um, last time to, when we did the podcast with Josh, Josh Kerr, um, I just feel jealous, you know, looking at Zandvoort, looking at Silverstone, we saw Texas as well, and now, and the grandstands in Mexico City, and... You know, can't wait to see what we see in in Sao Paulo this weekend as well in Brazil because Interlagos is always one that's um, packed and there's so many passionate fans. So it's going to be great. And you know, how can people get over the um, wholesome pictures of uh, Checo's dad and his family, especially? So one to you know definitely make everyone feel fuzzy inside. Um, very nice moment as well. Uh, I think it was yesterday where. A tweet went out saying that um, Charles Leclerc had uh, sent a message to Checo saying you know how wonderful it is to see um, his family and his dad in particular get around and celebrate that way and you know Leclerc we know he lost his father um, a few years ago sadly when when Leclerc was racing in F2 and, you know, took that emphatic win in Baku back then as well, um, en route to winning the championship that year, so, you know, it's... it's, it's a fickle business, F1. You know, it's it's a business. You know, it's it's very cutthroat, but there's a lot of wholesome moments as well that we we like, and you know, fans like me and a lot of other people I know who are invested in the sport. You know, love moments like that. So that was very nice to see from from the Checo family or from the Perez family, I should say. Checo is, is, is Sergio's nickname. Um, overall, Red Bull now within one point. Of Mercedes and Constructors Championship, Max Verstappen's lead up to 19 points over Lewis Hamilton in the Championship. It would have been 20 if he was able to hang on to that uh, faster slap, but in the end it was taken away from him, which we'll get to in a little bit. Overall, the weekend, you know, we all knew Red Bull would be quick. It was looking like it was going to be a Red Bull domination. Um, this circuit has suited them so many times over the past few years, and, you know, the the high altitude, um, you know, the thinner air seems to work best with that Honda power unit, but Mercedes shocked us during qualifying, and um, Valtteri Bottas took the pole position, as Red Bull had a scrappy Q3, you gotta say, they looked pretty good, did nip and tuck, or whatever, with the Mercedes, but then in Q3, they just lost it. There was that moment where Yuki Tsunoda, unfortunately, went off in sector two, which had um uh not kind of distracted or just you know caught Perez unawares you know Perez goes off and then with Max behind Perez it was like oh you know this is brought a yellow flag it's it's ruined my lap but you know regardless of that Max was you know losing grip he was um oversteering all over the place he took you know I think the turn one and two curb Um, The chicane there, he took too much curb into one of his laps, so it was not a great qualifying for Red Bull, but then again, you know, qualifying in Mexico is not necessarily the best you know, or qualifying on pole or on the front row, I should say, is not really the best place to be in Mexico because of that long run down to Turn 1 and the toe that you do get, so um, they actually benefited from starting from the, the second row of the grid, did the Red Bulls um, with Max leading the Grand Prix going into Turn 1, bit of action though... Despite the Mercedes getting a good start and um, leading down the straight, we had Valtteri Bottas tagged by Daniel Ricciardo and sent into a bit of a spin. Um, it triggered Yuki Tsunoda and and Mick Schumacher to have their own little moments as well, and all that chaos was a bit too much, and they did have to bring out the safety car. But you know, for the pole sitter, that would have been just disastrous to have your race effectively, you know, not, not ended, but ruined, um, at the first corner, so, you know, Bottas ends up, you know, fighting away down and outside the top 10, Ricardo as well, you know, he could have had a good weekend, he could have had a good race, despite, um, Lando Norris not being able to score that many points either, so, he, um, effectively ruined his own race, stewards, you know, I think they just, Dismissed it as a racing incident. Didn't seem too much into it. I was actually in conversation with a mate just before coming on air. Um, he texting me, you know, how come they haven't done anything about that or issued some kind of post race penalty or anything. He said something about Gasly getting a harsher penalty in Turkey, which I can't even remember anyway. But you know, we remember that the stewards at each race are different, you know, and that's probably you know the main contributing factor to why penalties that do get dished out, you know, differ from race to race even, and it's that whole consistency side of things that we want to see from the FIA. I know a lot of people blast, you know, the race director, Michael Massey, for this sort of thing. It's not up to him. Ultimately, it's the stewards that are there, the panel of stewards who make the decisions. Um, So if they could do or could have a consistent panel of stewards throughout the season then you know it would make make all the decision making a lot easier but then again it's like any sport you know no one is ever satisfied with referee decisions you know some people will be at certain times but there's always going to be winners and losers in that instance so it's it's that never ending cycle or that unwinnable battle that these referees or stewards or whoever is adjudicating um, have to go through no matter what um, code of sport that they're involved in. So, you know, effectively both these guys, their races were ruined. They couldn't. Fight for points anyway, so why why penalise them further when you know they've effectively done the damage to themselves? Or Ricardo in this instance, because Bottas was sadly an innocent bystander in that one. So during the safety car, we had Max leading the race from Lewis and from Checo. Um, after the safety car came in, we saw Hamilton feeling the pinch from Red Bull and from Checo, and it was so good, you know, watching him hunt down the, the Mercedes, um, he came in on lap 30 to pick for the hard tyres, said, I'm done with this set, I'm out of this little battle, Verstappen in not too long after on lap 34, and then leaving Perez out to lead the race, and of course, becoming the first ever Mexican driver to lead his home Grand Prix, I believe. So imagine what the crowd was doing when when that happened so it was very you could hear it through the the tv and everything so it was very emphatic um got to lead for a few laps before he was in on lap 41 and then came back out behind Hamilton he set about hunting down after him again but ultimately falling short sadly towards the end of the Grand Prix um but what a result you know to still Get his first ever podium on home soil. You know, like coming into this weekend, obviously, there was the expectation that driving a Red Bull, he would surely be able to win the race. You know, he's in a position to do it. But. Checo, he's just been in good form, you know, he's had three podiums in a row now, Um, and this is the Checo that everyone wanted to see, I think, this year at Red Bull, you know, you wanted that solid second driver, so Checo's come good when, when we need him to, and especially for Red Bull in the championship now. They're down to within one point, heading into a track, which of course is a Red Bull-favoured circuit as well. So, you know, I think the um, everyone was pretty happy at the end of the day. And even Lewis Hamilton, as much as he might not have been happy with the result with the lead in the championship that Max has now, he would have still been happy to have had a good race with, uh, with Checo and keep at least one of the Red Bulls behind because they certainly didn't have the race pace to... Um, be ahead of either one of them to be honest so there we go um behind them of course Pierre Gasly having a great race and finishing in fourth lonely race you've got to say like the last couple of races I think whoever's finished fourth has had a lonely one there's you don't see them much during the race but they just do do the right thing and you know they come away with the haul of points and that's really helped Alpha Tauri as well I think despite Yuki Tsunoda not finishing the race, we see AlphaTauri actually tied for points now with Alpine in their battle for fifth in the championship, so really good race for them. Um, Tsunoda sadly retiring with the damage to his car from the first lap incident, um, with Mick Schumacher, Schumacher as well, you know, I think it's probably one of his first or second retirements this season, I'm not sure, He's, he's had a pretty, you know, stayed out of trouble a lot this season, except for when it involves his teammate but yeah, you know, poor, poor Yuki, he's had a bit of a tough weekend, you've got to say, and I know that, you know, not, not, I won't, I won't, say that I've been harsh on him in the past and stuff, you know, I do believe that he's come into F1 a year too early, perhaps a bit undercooked, um, he was thrown under the bus completely by, you know, Red Bull and Red Bull management, um, for the incident in Q3, or for his mishap in Q3, which managed to have, um, which happened to have affected the Red Bull drivers as well, so a little bit of defense there would have been nice or a bit of encouragement, but, you know, hey, that's just the way the Red Bull program works, sadly, so, you know, while I might not be um, all for Sonoda being on the grid this year, you know, he has been making some improvements the last few rounds, which is good to see, but ultimately, I think, you know, next year will be the test to see if he can hang on to his seat going into the future and if he makes those positive steps so yeah sad that you know he got thrown under the bus the only one I like to see thrown under the bus is uh someone who's down at the bottom of the championship you know being beaten by a reserve driver this year but you know we won't see that because um certain somebody's uh, father does bankroll the team so yes Pierre finishing in fourth lone soldier, lonely soldier, Black Books reference, um, and the sole Alfa Tauri driver on the day. Uh, Ferrari, they had a great weekend um, and double point scoring finish, of course, getting them ahead of McLaren in the Constructors' Championship now as well, so, you know, McLaren will not be very happy about that, but Ferrari, later on in the race, they were in a situation where they did have to do some team orders to allow Carlos Sainz to go and um, have a go at trying to hunt down Pierre Gasly, it wasn't going to happen because of the gap that Gasly had, it was something ridiculous over 10 seconds or maybe 8 seconds I think, but they still let Sainz have a go, but at least at the end they did switch positions back to allow Charles Leclerc ahead of Carlito, so 5th and 6th for the Ferraris. it is, what's the points now, the points, (laughs) it is, and I hate the point, the half points that, you know, all the other teams have had, well, it's only Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari who've got the half points on there this year, but yeah, you know, 13 and a half points now, the difference between Ferrari and McLaren, so McLaren are going to have to try and get that back as soon as they can going into the final few races. And while we're on the subject of them, so Ricardo ends up finishing in 12th, you know, with the recovery that he had to do. Lando Norris. Now, Lando, sadly, did start from the back of the grid with a grid penalty, um, taking on the new Mercedes power unit, of course, and made it up to 10th to score a point. Um, And a lot of questions being thrown around these days about... How his confidence is and um listening to the grid talk podcast after the race of course um they were talking about possibly since the crash in spa um that since then it's been it's been you know he hasn't been on form or whatever he's teammates been better than him and everything, but, you know, for me, my mind immediately goes to Russia, and, you know, whether losing the race there has certainly dashed his confidence and whatnot, I certainly hope not, because I really want to see him do well, and, you know, obviously they're going to need him to do well, McLaren are going to need him to do well in these last few races this year to get that third in the constructors back from Ferrari, so hopefully we do see Lando come good in the coming races. You know, um, Brazil. Last time we're in Brazil was a good race for McLaren. They finished on the podium with science, of course, with that Hamilton penalty being dished out. So hopefully, um, we see another good result from them. Um, But yeah, you know, it is. It is quite sad. I don't want to see Lando um, succumb to his, uh, you know, just uh, what what do you call it? You know, it's not self deprecation, but. Uh, like, he is very harsh on himself, so I hope he doesn't succumb to that, you know, when it comes to bouncing back from the trials and tribulations that he's had um, since the second half of the season got going. Well, rounding out the points, we had um, Sebastian Vettel in 7th, Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso. They're 7-8-9, of course, you know, with the big hitters like Bottas and Ricardo out, um, you know, allowed those guys to come up in, into the points, and, you know, we said about Alpine, they're tied on points now with Alpha Tauri, Alonso scoring a couple of points didn't really help them in that instance, but, you know, how good is it to see those three former world champions, you know, who used to be on the podium so many times together back in, you know, the the early 2000s, or from 2012, 2013, um, now, you know, making up the points as it were so and you know of course Kimi last few races in F1 for him as well so you know is this the the best we're going to see of him as he goes out we'll wait and see um and elsewhere Giovinazzi finishing in 11th again not great for him in you know, Alfa Romeo and obviously those guys have had a lot of um News around them in the last month or whatever, particularly heading into to Texas and everything. But since then, it's kind of gone quiet. Obviously, with um, the buyout by Andretti, Michael Andretti and Andretti Autosport falling through. Ultimately, them saying that it wasn't so much a financial problem as it was a control issue. So. That's a bit disappointing considering a lot of fans would have loved to have seen, or a lot of motorsport fans, I should say, would have loved to have seen the Andretti name come into F1, Andretti Sauber, whatever it would have been called if it had come to fruition. Um, People were looking forward to seeing uh, Colton Herter, someone like him, come in and drive an F1 car, you know, have an American driver on the grid. It would have been good for Liberty Media as well, but unfortunately that isn't the case. But. Regardless of that, the rumour mill has kind of gone quiet as to who's going to take that final seat on the grid. Of course, that is the last seat available for 2022. Um, it seems that it's down to the, the the usual contenders that it has been all season with Guan Zhou, Oscar Piastri as well as in there, and Teo, Perch- yeah, Teo Pochier still still in contention as well for, for Alfa Romeo Sauber. So we'll wait and see. You know, I think they did say something about after Brazil, the Tuesday after the um, Sao Paulo Grand Prix, they would make an announcement as to who will be Valtteri Bottas's teammate in 2022, so we'll just have to wait and see, other than that, it was, yeah, like, the excitement was really in this Grand Prix from the crowd, and Perez hunting down Hamilton, otherwise, you know, it, it kind of, everyone held station, not much action going on elsewhere, but it was good being back in Mexico, it was good to see the passion of the crowd and it's definitely a race that I'd love to to attend to in the future when, when travel is um, very much a viable thing again, you know, if you look at how much um, a plane ticket costs now since... Um, you know since the start of the pandemic and now that you know international travel is a thing again it has gone up significantly compared to what you would be able to do beforehand so yeah it's probably just um best to wait and um be patient in this instance so yeah quick um shout out to before i tail off and talk about Sa- sao paulo real quick to obviously f1 chronicle and the grid talk podcast so took part in the qualifying watch along that they do now. Um, they did for Mexico City, of course, so it was good fun um, taking part in that with Tom from the Everything F1 podcast and, of course, uh, Caitlin and Sean from the Get Checked podcast as well. We had a good time um, early morning here in um, Australia for me and, you know, the other guys being on the other side of the world, of course, so it's always good good banter, good, good chatting with everyone, um, so many different people and such a great team, so... Um, be sure to check them out, as I do always like to plug here. So that would be great. Um, I will be doing the Sao Paulo qualifying, uh, sprint qualifying, or whatever sprint race, whatever you want to call it. I don't know sprint review as well this weekend. So keep an eye out for that on their YouTube channel. Going into Sao Paulo, of course, second race in this triple header. Triple header with. Uh, Mexico City and Qatar afterwards, it is going to be the first race for F1 with their new branding, Um, and when when that was said, you know, last week, or it was rumoured last week that F1's going to have some new branding, um, head of uh, Brazil, it was like, are they doing another logo? Seriously, like, we just got this logo, I like this logo, let's keep this logo, it's nothing to do with the logo, it's just the fact that they're amping up the whole hybrid awareness thing, you know, with um, saying, you know, since 2014, this has been the most efficient hybrid engine in the world, basically, and that's quite important, given the fact that, you know, there's a lot of climate talk going on, and, you know, just hearing interesting things about how um, emissions since, um. Emissions, you know, since the pandemic started, since the world pretty much shut down, you know, it did give um, the climate a bit of a reprieve. Yet, you know, now we're starting to head back to those same levels as pre-pandemic. So, you know, that's quite important. I know, you know, if anyone follows Australian politics, it's a bit of a joke in this country where, you know, we're run by a country full of climate deniers. (laughs) Um, Not going to get into political chat anyway, but um, you know, it's a good F1's trying to do this they're standing by their commitment to go net zero carbon by 2030 um, creating more awareness about the hybrid side of their engine you know of course 2026 is when we get the new engine formula they're still very much sticking to the hybrid concept so anyone shouting out bring back the v10s or the v12s or whatever it's not going to happen um instead you know they are going to drop the mGUh of course which you know creates that incredible efficiency that we do see with the current generation power unit it's so fascinating and there's a lot of you know ifs and buts about you know what what the 2026 engine is going to look like without the MGUH. it's going to save them a lot of money and of course financial sustainability is a big thing as well um to explore in the future but i'm sure they'll do a good job um with that it's allowed uh the likes of the volkswagen audi group to get interested in f1 and more than interested to the point where we may even hear as soon as you know the end of this year whether they'll commit from 2026 so we know that Porsche and Audi are very much a part of these summits or these meetings that they're doing about 2026 and everything and there's been rumors that um Audi or I think Yeah, Audi um, tried to look into buying the McLaren F1 team as well, which, you know, I mean, how would that look? As long as, like, if they bought them, that McLaren stays McLaren, and, you know, they just have um, an Audi design power unit in the back of their F1 car kind of thing. It's kind of the same way when, you know, Ferrari got sold off to Fiat or whatever, it wasn't rebranded Fiat, but then again, Audi is a... major company in the world or major car maker major motorsports presence it has a lot of motorsports presence as well whether they want to have their own f1 team remains to be seen but i would definitely be someone who would be against that because you know mclaren it's it's mclaren you know mclaren are great but you know whether one of these um two entities will align with red bull as well to um uh, be badger to Porsche engine or whatever, so we'll wait and see. But it is exciting to see that we've got new manufacturers looking to get into F one. You know how long? You know since since the first time? You know since twenty fourteen it'll be twelve years since then. You know. It, wow, you know, it's going to be a decade since we've been in this F1 hybrid era very soon, so it's very, very scary, because, you know, 2014 does feel like, um, not too long ago in some respects. Anyway, 2014 was also the last time I was overseas, so that, that, that also probably comes into it anyway, so that's exciting to see that we've got Portionality looking to commit, um, but at the same time, you know, I'd like to see them start from scratch, start a team from scratch if they could, you know, if it was financially sustainable to do that, you know, and also technically as well, whether they'll hit the ground running without having data or anything to, to go off, you know, by the previous teams, very much so, um, the trend is to buy into an existing team or whatever but with with what's happened between Andretti and Sauber in recent times it's like well who else is really for sale I'd, I'd sell off Haas in 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 you know at the drop of a heartbeat or whatever because they're not really contributing much at the moment you've got to say but all the other teams you know I know McLaren are in a bit of financial they've had some financial hardships and their their debts are being paid off at the moment you don't want to lose someone like McLaren, unless it was, you know, as I said, a situation where it was like Ferrari selling to Fiat in the 60s or whatever, and Ferrari basically still kept the the race team, so we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Anyway, moving it on to other things, um, and looking beyond this triple header as well, the final two races of the year are in Saudi Arabia and in Abu Dhabi, the Jeddah street circuit, still incomplete, and what a surprise as to that but F1 is confident that it will be done you know I mean to be honest as we've said before as I've said before um I wouldn't mind just skipping over that race but hey that's the direction F1 is going in with um which circuits they visit which countries they visit as well importantly and you know we all seem to be on the same page where we don't really agree with that and the um philosophies and ethics on human rights that they do adapt anyway we'll leave it at that um could go on all day maybe you know with a with a drink or two uh not safe for work edition of hit the apex podcast that would be quite interesting very interesting indeed um we also have the next sprint event here the sprint a race spring qualifying whatever you want to call it and some news on that as well I don't think I've mentioned um I mentioned in the last show was that we're expecting six in 2022 and apparently every single race wants it um Ross Braun has been saying that every single race event organizer uh, on the 2022 calendar has been asking can we have this one here can we have this one there So even though, you know, fans might still not be particularly warmed up to the idea of sprint, the organizers see it from a commercial perspective and getting bums on seats and getting people to buy a Friday ticket, especially to go to the qualifying or traditional qualifying, which is on a Friday, they see it as a benefit. So, you know, in that instance, great try it, I mean, if they did it here at um, Albert Park, that would be quite interesting, you know, of course, then again, we do get good crowds, I've got to say, and I'm sure that next year, we'll see um, what happened with, you know, the likes of Mexico, and with, with Texas as well, um, having a race here after two years, or whatever, there will be a big crowd, and, you know, no, no restrictions on, you know, limits, on how many people you can have in that particular space. I'm sure they'll say, yeah, you've got to, you know, be all fully vaccinated and everything, and you'll be allowed entry. So I'm sure we'll easily get 100,000 people in per day as well. What is interesting, however, is that, well, looking in the present, of course, um, last two times that we had the sprint event, Silverstone and Monza, the Grand Prix that came afterwards, we did see Max and Lewis make contact are we gonna have the same again here this week in Brazil? You know, it's 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 coming down to that clutch part of the season and an incident like that would be off the scale in the in the words of Mark Scaife so it would be a bit chaotic if it did but you never know you never know Brazil is one of those circuits where crazy things do happen you know you can have weather you can have safety cars so you know I'm sure we'll get a pretty interesting sprint race you know a couple of first couple of laps in the sprint um we do see people jockeying for position and a few positional changes but then the rest just kind of um peters out, and nothing else happens, but yeah, for the, for the Sunday Grand Prix, I'm sure we'll be in for an exciting one, so hard to look beyond Red Bull and Verstappen for that one, but again, you know, anyone puts their foot wrong, then it's, uh, game over, and the other, the other driver will go on to win, so there we go, it is, it is very tough, so that's it for F1 on, um, on this one, ...on this show, this week's show... ...let's talk about supercars then... ...because we've had two weekends back-to-back so far... ...of um, supercar racing at Sydney Motorsport Park... Um, looking at the first Sydney Super uh, Super Night, of course we had Anton Di Pasquale sweeping the pole positions. Of course he won race twenty and twenty two. He ended up disqualified from race twenty one. He also got a bad start in race twenty one, which you know, and then which we saw Shane Van Gisbergen capitalize on. We had Will Davison dudded by an electric, electrical gremlin as well while leading the race in in that middle race there on that weekend, and ended up losing to SVG, so, you know, Will Davis, not the most luckiest chap out there, but, you know, I mean, if he stops complaining about, you know, why he should win a race, then maybe he will go win a race, anyway, um, Tickford, Walkinshaw, Andretti United, they were couple of big names that struggled Um, through that first weekend we saw Erebus on the podium they've had pace really good pace in both weekends so far we saw Brody Kostecki and Will Brown both get podiums in the first weekend and for Will Brown of course his first ever podium in supercars Kostecki did a great job earlier in the year in Sandown in the wet so he got podium that time Um, but yeah you know seeing seeing Tickford and WAU struggling that was a bit a uh, bit of a head scratching moment but overall it was good to see racing back it was good to see supercars um and for that first weekend the racing wasn't exactly i guess the most exciting you know it just kind of felt a bit prof- processional, but hey you know we just got to got to take it as it comes and be grateful for what we have and, you know, comparisons being made as well um, during that weekend, especially with the pole positions um, between Dee Pasquale and Scott McLaughlin, just the way he was driving the car seemed really similar to the way Scotty went on to take 76 poles in his career, so good to see Dee Pasquale doing well, you know, he's had quite a tough season so far this year, and, um, you know, quite a few DNFs which have taken him out of title contention, and of course, a dnf here as well this weekend which is or in the first weekend where you know of course they are vying for this sydney cup you know so whoever scores the most points at the end of this um four uh, instead of the uh, at the end of these four rounds will be the sydney cup winner they get some cash prize as well or whatever so the points after two weekends at the moment with shane van gisburg and 488 Will Davison, 460, and then Deeper Squally in third with 443, and Nick Perkett as well there in contention, 430, so, you know, easily anyone in that top eight, I'd say, um, could come through, you know, Chaz Mostard in there as well, Will Brown, depending on how Erebus go, um, one person who won't be able to contest the Sydney Cup, unfortunately, is um, David Reynolds who ended up on the bench after the first weekend because... Um his uh vaccination exemption, the validity of it was um not quite kosher, apparently. So he was put on the bench. Um he's ended up getting his first shot and has to wait to get his second, of course. Whether he'll be ready to do that or re- will have it in time for Bathurst remains to be seen as well. They did draft in um uh, Kelly Grove Racing did draft in his co-driver though, his Bathurst co-driver, Luke Youlden, Luke Yulden, <laughs> Luke Youlden. That's 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 it. Um, Luke Youlden to make his. Um, first ever solo debut in supercars, and, and he's been in the sport for 21 years as a co-driver, so imagine that, um, being a trip, being, being in your first weekend as a solo driver, um, at the age he is, so, good on Jordan. he did quite well, he did, um, particularly well in the wet qualifying sessions in the second weekend on the Sunday. So we had a wet day on Sunday there at Sydney motorsport park, the Sunday that's just gone. Um, and he, I think did, you know, 11th and 12th in those sessions. So very good for him. Um, Looking at race twenty-three, the Saturday night race there on the second Sydney Super Night, and poor Will Brown robbed of his maiden first win from pole position. He got his first career pole, and a bad pit stop just brought end to that. And that's consecutive bad pit stops that Brown has had in those first races of the weekend. So you know it happened to him um, the first Sydney Super Night as well on the Saturday night, and then of course the second one, which, you know, took the win away from him, and Brody Kostecki as well, given a drive-through penalty for speeding in the pit lane, so he lost the chance of a podium too on that particular occasion, so Erebus, you know, very, very down, after that one, but, you know, they've had the pace, which is great to see, so I'm sure we'll see some better results come for them as a result, um, DJR as well, having a race to forget in race 23, so, Anton Di Pasquale, of course, um, failing to qualify even for that one earlier in the day, had a gearbox problem, and had to start the race from the back of the grid, did race his way up to, like, 11th, I think, but then, you know, got a, five-second penalty for um, track limit violation or whatever, so he ended up finishing behind Will Brown, and then Davison again, Davison, 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 in a bit of a war with SVG, and he wasn't quite happy with uh, the way the SVG drives, but you know the way SVG drives, everyone knows it, you don't try to you know, you have to be equally as aggressive as SVG to, to be able to beat him, but even then it's still very difficult, so Davison having a bit of a whinge after that, you know, about that, and you know, it's all very sad, blah blah blah, but he still finished on the podium in third behind the two Triple Eight cars, Van Gisbergen winning under the lights, of course, Jamie up coming in second, and 450th um, round in supercars, I think, for Triple um, Eight and Red Bull, Oh, the Triple Eight team. So, congratulations to them. And Jamie Wincup, pretty much conceding that, yeah, the title is Van Gisbergen's to lose after this weekend. You know, looking at the points, it is pretty. Pretty much in his favor. I could have told you that, you know, um, back in Townsville if you wanted as well. But yeah, it is, you know, 337 points over Jamie Wincup, which is over a round's worth of points. So you're going to have to see Van Gisbergen have an appalling round, you know, probably 2015, you know, techno auto sports era Van Gisbergen to have like a really bad round to, to lose those points. But yeah, he's done a great job this year as Shane. And you look back to earlier in the year where after the Mount Panorama 500, breaks his collarbone, jumps in the car at Sandown, wins all three races through the weekend, and then, you know, wins, I think, had a winning streak of six races to start of the season as well. You know, it's it's fair that he's going to win the championship. He's to, totally deserved it. So it's been a good year for that camp. Um, wet qualifying sessions on the Sunday, as I said. Poll split between Deep Pasquale and Van Gisbergen mustard unfortunately, stripped of his second position for race twenty-five, um, bodywork infringement or whatever, and that came about because there was a bit of a um, bit of a battle between he and Heimgartner in the previous race, and um, did damage a bit of the front uh, bumper and the bumper that they replaced it with um, outside of Park Ferme or whatever was a bit too big or something. You know, it was just like fraction too big to the regulations, and um, as per the technical regulations, they did have to disqualify him, so he had to start from the back of the grid for race 25, which we'll get to in a moment, we saw Anton strike back in race 24 though, from pole position, he goes long on the soft tyre stint um, for the opening part of the race, then switches to the hard tyre, broke Van Gisbergen. and they just didn't have pace when they make their first pit stop and did that quite early, James Courtney pitted early, but did benefit and made it up to P3, so first podium that we've seen, I think, from Tickford during this um, Sydney Cup or whatever, and, you know, the Tickford camp has has been dismal, as I've said, um, since this return to supercars, so for Courtney and the boost car to end up there on the podium, that's, you know, some kind of takeaway for them, and he's meant to be a local boy too, uh, growing up in Western Sydney, so good on him good on him. Um, wet and Wild though, Wet and Wild and After Dark, it, it sounded like, you know, the title for an adult film basically, but that's what Race 25 was, and it was red flagged of course, um, seven laps away from the end uh, there after the Jacob Stecki crash, driver was okay, which was good, but just the conditions were really treacherous, and just the way the cars looked under the lights as well, um, you know, the lit by the floodlights, and then with the rain glistening off them as well it just looked quite nice but you know obviously they just couldn't um, race on in those conditions. Uh, Mostert though coming through from the rear side this way through the field to finish P3 and if the race had gone on there was all you know all chances he could have even won this one so you know we would have loved to have seen that if that had happened um, but there was Trouble for his teammate, though, Bryce Fullwood, who jumped the start. He started like eighth and was leading going into the first corner. And, you know, everyone was like, either he's jumped the start or has just, you know, got amazing reaction times. It turned out to be the former. So, yeah, he got penalized for that. Um, Then a bit of comical errors from race control with Shane Van Gisbergen because he was giving a given a penalty for a safety car restart infringement after the first safety car in which we saw both the boost cars crash on the first lap so Kostecki uh, Brody Kostecki and James Courtney in that race so going into turn one you know um Van Gisbergen ended up passing Deep Pasquale, but it was deemed to have been before the safety car control line, of course, and you can't pass unless you've, you can't pass after a safety cars come in until you pass that control line. Now, what Van Gisbergen immediately got onto the radio and said was that Deeper Squali had actually backed off going into turn one, so it made it look like that Van Giersbergen had passed illegally. Um, And then the stewards, after reviewing that data, and, you know, the telemetry and everything, said, oh yeah, he's actually right, we'll revoke that penalty. So this is the first time in ages, if not ever, I've seen them actually revoke a penalty. So that was quite entertaining in that. And then he ended up getting another penalty, um, which was upheld uh, for a pit lane speeding thing or some, some kind of thing happened in the pit lane, unsafe release. And that pretty much, you know, said good night to his race too. But you know, he's he's still leading the Sydney Cup, so he's he's pretty happy. And Jamie Wincup ended up um being declared the winner of that particular race. So good on J Dub for that, of course. You know, coming into the final races of his Solo supercars career as well. We've got another three races, sprint races coming up this weekend, and then of course next weekend with the two two fifty k races as well. Before we have a week off, and then going into Bathurst as well, the Bathurst one thousand, the final race of this season. So whether we're going to be all like, "There's too much racing, I can't handle this," um, or not, it <laughs> remains to be seen. But at the same time, it's like yeah, you know, we kind of needed this to get the season back underway, and hopefully next year we don't have to deal with COVID dramas and, you know, borders shutting and all that, unless you live in WA, then we have no chance of seeing anyone for for years, (laughs) Um, unless they do open up their borders, so hopefully next year for Supercars we do have a calendar as close to normal as possible, and we don't have these repeat round situations that we've seen over the last couple of years, other than that, not much not much else to report, you know, just enjoy this weekend, Sao Paulo Grand Prix, got the MotoGP on as well, the final race of the season, and you know, I didn't say it last time, but shout out to Fabio Quattararo winning the championship this year, he's got it all wrapped up, crashed out of the last race there in Portimao, but you know, he, he won the championship um, beforehand, so all good for him, Ducati have got the Constructors Championship wrapped up, so good for them, and also... It's going to be a bit emotional. Final race for Valentino Rossi in his MotoGP career. I'd love it if he got a podium. I know it's not going to happen, but if we could, that would be so good just to, you know, send him out on a high old valley, so good, good to see, and, you know, we'll see, um, I'll see if I can actually stay up to watch it, because it is on at midnight, and then we do have the F1 on at 2am in the morning, or 4am, or whatever, so it's, it's pretty crazy, you know, when you, when you go back to having a, um, full-time work schedule as well, and not have the following Monday after every race off, and then just nap during the day, so, yeah, it'll be interesting, so we'll see so anyway enjoy guys hope you hope you enjoy the racing on this weekend um as i said before please check out f1 chronicle and the grid talk podcast are on all the good podcast platforms and on youtube as well where they live stream um their podcast as they're happening and then of course the watch alongs as well when when the next one's on i'm sure i'll want to be a part of it again um yeah, you know, I'm on Twitter, at Hit the Apex Media, so check that out too, so until next week, until we do the Sao Paulo Grand Prix review, thanks for listening, and enjoy your weekends, ciao.